Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Buery, and as always, I'm with the volcano-loving seismologist, Dr. Lucy Jones. Today's episode of Getting Through It is sponsored by individual listeners as a project of the nonprofit Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Would you consider sponsoring this podcast too for as little as $5 a month? Because that's how it continues to be there for you week after week. It's simple. Just go to patreon.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And now let's get to it. In our last episode, we addressed the six myths about volcanoes. And Lucy, you left us on a cliffhanger when we tackled myth number six. And that was that one only needs to worry about a volcano if it's nearby. So let's go there first. What are the ways a volcano affects us no matter where we are in relationship to it? You're essentially asking what are the global impacts of a volcano? And there are two answers, gas and ash. Flowing lava doesn't travel very far, but the explosive volcanoes put both gas and volcanic ash high into the atmosphere, which allows it to carry around the world. Okay, so let's start with the ash. I remember back in 2012, I was scheduled to be in a friend's wedding in London, and there was that volcano from Iceland. Eyjafjallajökull. Yeah, that one. And it canceled all the flights into Europe from the U.S. Can you explain the issues around ash and airplanes? Ash can crash an airplane. It almost happened once with an airplane flying over the Aleutian Arc off of Alaska. Over an active erupting volcano, the ash got sucked into the engines on the plane, stalled them out. It fell over 30,000 feet and barely avoided crashing, able to restart the engines just before they hit the earth. The FAA said, we shouldn't let this happen again. They set up a program with the U.S. Geological Survey so that there are warnings whenever there's an active eruption of a volcano. The problem is they don't really know exactly how much ash a plane can take. And, you know, they don't want to just let it fly through the ash until they find the level at which it crashes, but they're still trying to figure out exactly what is a safe level, how much ash needs to be in the air to become a danger to the planes. And is that it? Is that all we need to worry about with ash and airplanes? Well, we've got to remember that ash is rock. It's little tiny pieces of rock that have been vaporized, but it's still rock and it's heavy enough that it falls out of the sky within a relatively short period of time. In the biggest eruptions, we might see ash deposits out 1,000 or 2,000 kilometers, but it doesn't last that long. Back in 1783, there was an eruption in Iceland, the Lockhe craters, and that eruption deposited ash across Europe. It showed up as this big cloud that covered Europe for several weeks, but it was actually the gases that were more important in that eruption. So let's move on to that bigger issue, the gases that are released. So volcanoes can produce large quantities of gas along with lava. If you remember in the last episode, we were talking about sticky lava that can trap the gas and that's how it becomes explosive. In the thin, less viscous magmas, it's not trapping the gases and so they're released on an ongoing basis, but there is a lot of vapor. Now, the most common gas is actually water. It's like 97% of the gas is released, makes for the explosions, but it's not a big deal in terms of affecting human health. But the other three most common gases in an eruption can be very dangerous. They are carbon dioxide, hydrogen fluoride, and hydrogen sulfide. But which of these do we really need to worry about, or is it all three? Really, it's all three. 
CO2, I mean, obviously we have lots of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and in and of itself, it's not dangerous. But when a volcano releases a large quantity of it, it actually blocks out the oxygen. And we've seen situations, especially like at Mammoth Lakes here in California is actually an active volcano. And it has had a degassing event where it releases lots of carbon dioxide, but not any magma or lava coming out with it. And in that incident, we one killed off a lot of trees, but there were also some dead skiers in the backcountry, came upon a restroom, went to use it. And because all this degassing had happened, trapped by the snow, this lavatory was filled with carbon dioxide. And the guy went in there and used it and passed out and, and died. But in the last episode, you had said that the carbon release from volcanoes is much lower than that produced by humans. It looks like it's a one-off situation, or is there something more to it? Well, compared to what humans are doing, but that's diffused across the whole world. So volcanoes, on average, give us 200 million tons of carbon dioxide per year, and humans produce, on average, 24 billion tons of carbon dioxide each year. Global warming? It's just no comparison. And of course, the human activities knew the volcanoes have been doing this forever. It's when it's concentrated in one site that it actually blocks out the oxygen and can kill you. Okay. So then go back to, to fluorine and sulfur. Fluorine has fluoride in it. We all think of that as good for our teeth. It's great for our teeth and bones in small quantities. When you get to large quantities, it can deform the teeth and bones and is absolutely deadly. Let's go back to Lockheed in 1783. That eruption produced a huge amount of fluorine. It poisoned the land, the crops, the livestock in Iceland, killed off about a quarter of the population in Iceland. The gases then went over into Europe, and they estimate that an extra 23,000 people died in the UK that summer from the effect of these gases. And it's a combination, but the fluorine seems to have been one of the really big ones. The other big gas, and it happened in Lockheed, was the sulfides. You know, sulfur dioxide is an acid. It was literally burning up the plants. When it got over into the UK and Europe, sulfur was also part of what was damaging people's lung and leading to those extra deaths. But, you know, these gases coming from the volcanoes are heavier than air. And when they're in the lower atmosphere, they eventually wash out, especially the sulfur mixes with water. But if they get up into the stratosphere, it's a different story. So what's special about the stratosphere? And can you explain exactly where it is so that our listeners know what you're talking about here? Okay, so the, the lower level of the atmosphere that we all breathe in is called the troposphere. The stratosphere is thinner. It seems to have a pretty distinct boundary. It's at about 12 kilometers above the equator. But when you get up in the Arctic, it's actually lower. There's sort of a squishing out because of the spin of the earth. Above Iceland, it's only about eight kilometers above the surface of the earth. That means that volcanoes in Iceland have a little extra advantage in getting up into the stratosphere. Even in Iceland, it requires a very explosive volcano to get the gases up that high. But when they do, that stratosphere is also very dry. There's very little water moisture in it. And the main way that these gases leave the atmosphere is mixing with water and turning into heavier compounds that wash out. So when the sulfur compounds get up into the stratosphere, they can stay there for several years. And they're just the right size to scatter the sunlight that's coming in. And that means the amount of heat that we receive from the sun goes down if we've got a significant amount of sulfur in the atmosphere. We've then seen it from several different volcanoes that will have global cooling that will last for a few years. 
but that sulfur does wash out and eventually we return to normal in terms of the heat. So we've got gas, we've got ash. When should our listeners worry about volcanoes when they hear about them? Well, we need to remember that there are enough volcanoes in the world that there is at least one active eruption going on almost all of the time. Right now, there's active eruptions going on in both Italy with, with Mount Etna and in Iceland. But neither of those events are particularly big gas producers. It's really about the biggest explosions, the biggest eruptions that get gas into the stratosphere that's going to be something you hear about and should worry about. Right. And I'll say, given what we're doing with global warming, a really big eruption that got our temperature down for a couple of years wouldn't be a bad thing. Well, let's stop there today on volcanoes, and I'm sure we'll talk about them again soon. So until then, I'm John Bwery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you, Getting Through It. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a sponsor at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee, and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones.